Well, good you could join us uh, today as we look at Psalm 32 together. Uh, As we come to that, let's pray. Our great God, we want to have an expanded view of you and we want to have an expanded view of what you've done for us. And so we pray by your spirit you would give us that uh, today as we look at this part of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. When you really think of those who've got it made, who comes to mind for you? Perhaps it's when you see the yachts docked around Birkenhead Point. Or on TV ads, it's that island holiday with crystal clear water and a drink in hand. Or maybe if we feel alone or isolated or broken, it's not so much material things that come to mind, but perhaps the sight of energetic healthy, happy, beautiful people with strong families and strong relationships. The idea of having it made or being rich in a broad sense of wellness and prosperity comes through the Old Testament through the word blessed. To ask who is it that has it made, you can't really improve upon the question, who are the blessed? As we saw in Romans 3 last week, With God for you, we have forgiven life, we have true life, we have a prosperous life, we have the blessed life. There will come a day when the only thing matters is whether you are God's friend or God's foe, forgiven or unforgiven, Christ's follower or living to the beat of a time bomb. Tick, tick, tick. A friend of mine was a successful doctor in Sydney and he was sharing with me and a couple of other ministers how he came to be a forgiven, blessed man. His daughters went to PLC, Sydney, and became Christians at school. In their enthusiasm, they brought home Bibles and even Christian books for him to read and to consider. In his disgust as an atheist, he threw them straight in the bin Sometime later, a pastor came to his house and was sharing the gospel with him. And the pastor shared that under God, we all sin. And our lives don't meet God's standard, as we learnt last week in Romans 3. At this point, my friend said, how dare you call me a sinner in my house? I am good. Now get out. Months later, while on a beach holiday at Murramurang near Batemans Bay, He said he developed a strange feeling that someone was watching him while he was at the beach. And he kept walking along the beach and he looked over his shoulder and saw no one. But the feeling just intensified. Not only did he feel he was being watched physically, but it was like his life and sin were all being observed, all open for inspection. And he said, I felt completely exposed. As my friend shared the story with me, he looked me in the eye and said, I got down on my knees and I felt so vulnerable, so exposed. This feeling just overwhelmed me and I was confronted with four unforgettable words that day. And the four words were, you are not good. You are not good. He said, I went straight back to our cabin and I got my hands on a Bible It was there I could find what my daughters shared with me. I asked God for forgiveness and I received it that day. 
Now I tell you this, why? He says, because I never want to be so exposed as a sinner before God again. I never want to be so exposed again. Psalm 32 shares with us how to be blessed, how to have what matters most. And at the heart of that is forgiveness, this right standing with God and the wonder of forgiveness, how important and how good it is to be forgiven. Now, I'm a pastor not because I'm better than the next person. My goodness, no. In some ways, because I serve Christ as a vocation or as a profession, my sins can be the most distressing and the most inexcusable. You need forgiveness. I need forgiveness. We all need God's forgiveness. That he be our boast. He be our righteousness. He's our goodness. He's our song. He's our riches and our wealth and our treasure and life's greatest reason to boast. And so while our lost friends seek and thirst and pursue, with Jesus we find and we actually arrive. So notice the relief. The singing begins in the first two verses. And the question of this sermon, what does it mean to truly have it made, to be truly blessed? Well, firstly, the blessed are forgiven, verses 1 to 2, as I've already introduced. Verse 1, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and whose spirit is no deceit. The blessedness isn't a birthday card type of temporary blessedness or happiness. It's the deep and rich blessedness of a well-secure satisfying life who has that life according to these verses not those who live in live pretty good lives not those with more assets than us as we compare ourselves with others or have a repaid mortgage or whatever it is no those those who are blessed have something of a greater and more pure worth verse one it's transgression forgiven sin covered It's the one whose sin somehow doesn't stick to them anymore. Verse 2. The one who is treated like a deceitless wonder. Verse 2. Someone who has a righteousness that the self-righteous miss out on altogether. It's the someone Paul sings of in Romans chapter 4, which is why I'm following Romans 3 with Psalm 32. Paul rejoices that the people of God from all ages, not only New Testament time, but Old Testament times as well, like King David in this psalm, were God's forgiven people. They are those who have it made constantly and forever. Our sin absorbed by the one who is to come for David, the Lord Jesus, that his righteousness would be our dress forever. Can you sense the relief in David of all people? You might know something of King David's record. He was no self-made saint. He was honoured as king over Israel from a little shepherd's beginning. But then he abuses the power God gave him. He murders a faithful soldier, Uriah, to cover up an affair he has with Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. Sin is then added to sin to try to cover over the sin and to get away with it. Who does David think he is? What has he become? I mean, we've looked at some of the scandals in Parliament House 
Here's another scandal right at the top. And we might ask, how can someone so culpable, so guilty, sing of forgiveness and to get away with a life of sin? Shouldn't David be cancelled forever and removed from our Bibles? His famous statue pulled down in Italy. And while we're at it, and honest with ourselves, shouldn't we all be cancelled? Our photos torn, our careers ended, our reputations rightly dragged through the mud. There's a really troubling self-righteousness running through our societies at the moment. The humble ask, Lord, if you marked our transgressions, who could stand? But back to David. This David, even this murderous, adulterous David, somehow can count himself blessed, richly, undeservingly, almost embarrassingly blessed. It's called the scandal of God's grace that such, as, such a one as King David, Pastor David, and each of you can be forgiven, verse 1, covered, verse 1, without charges, verse 2, called innocent and deceitless. What a great blessing that is for us. Secondly, point two, how did he go from guilty to forgiven? Let's listen to him share from verses three to six. When I kept silent, that is when I tried to cover it up, when I played it down, when I tried in vain to keep my shameful life out of God's sight, the effects were disastrous. My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Despair and depression, I take it. For day and night, there's insomnia here. Your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. A lethargy, an oppression of spirit. Life was sapping, vitality was gone. Blessed, verse 1, he was not. Brittle bones, constant groaning, day and night, heavy heart, sapped body. I've had a period in my life and I can relate a little bit with those words. Some of you might be experiencing that right now. I was living with a stress-induced fatigue during our years in Mongolia. With overworking came other problems of neglected quiet times, worry and anxiety taking over, resentment and bitterness and fear. Something like that is going on for David here. David's spiritual issue needs to be addressed if his spiritual health is to be restored. It's all impacting as well on his physical and mental health. I think we humans have very little idea just how relevant God is to the wellness we all crave. See there the wonderful change for David, for David from verses 4 to 5? For day and night your hand was heavy on me, my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then, verse 5, I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord. Now, how does God respond when we come to him in confession? How does he respond here? Is it with, aha, now I've got you. You've admitted it. I knew you were a sinner. No, look at God's beautiful response to the sinner's confession in verse 5. I said, I'll confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. You took it away. You took it away. 
Does this wonder not affect you, brothers and sisters? Do you still marvel at it as you did when you saw Christ more clearly? Or have you allowed your appreciation to grow cold, both of your sin and of God's wonderful kindness towards you in dealing with it? Remember the prostitute washing Jesus' feet with her hair. Great appreciation for sin leads to an even greater appreciation for Jesus. Or Keith Green's song puts it well about what can happen to us when we don't fight spiritual apathy. And that might be the story of your recent years. His song says, my eyes are dry, my faith is old, my heart is hard, my prayers are cold, and I know how I ought to be alive to you and dead to me. But what can be done for an old heart like mine? Soften it up with oil and wine. The oil is you, your spirit of love. Please wash me anew with the wine of your blood. Notice King David doesn't speak about God here. He starts to switch and he starts speaking to God. He can't help but now include the God he's been speaking about in his conversation. It's not just a transaction of sin, it's a relationship. I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you took away the guilt of my sin. You took it away. My part was the sin and simply owning up to it. God's part, your part, was to take the guilt away. What do you mean, King David, that God took it away? All I'm telling you is that's what he did, David might reply. But I wasn't a one-off lucky case. No, I've realized that's what God does. He's the sin forgiver, the guilt remover, the shame disperser. Last night I was washing up and I was washing a fry pan. An oily, dark residue was covering the pan, as it often does when we're washing up. But that oily residue met the hot, soapy water. And the oil just melts away with the heat and the soap. Gone, dispersed. What seemed to be there to stay, removed. What else are we going to do with our guilt and our shame and our failure if not take it to God? A psychologist or sharing it with a friend can't take it away. Positive self-talk only goes so far. But God provides us with clean slate living for day after day. It's amazing. He's more willing to forgive sin than we are even to seek it. He's more willing to forgive sin than we are to seek it. See there in verse 6, it's an open invitation. David writes, Therefore let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. It's an open invitation, but it has a closing off RSVP date. While you may be found. He'll lift us out now like Noah's family from the flood. If we reach for his waiting hand. Instead of being washed away with God's judgment, verse 6, when great floodwaters come, they will not reach you. Friends, adults, kids, if you're listening today, but not 100% sure that your sin has been dealt with, don't hold on to it one day longer. Here and now, today, 
by asking God in prayer, he can and he will take it from you. Christians, if you're clinging to a sin that delights you, if there are parts of your life that you have tried to keep God out of, it's really time to fess up, isn't it? To let go. Like a monkey, if you've seen those monkey traps where there's peanuts in the jar and while ever the monkey won't let go of the peanuts, his hand is stuck and and they can catch the monkey. It's time to let go of the sin so that we can take our freedom. That's what God is offering us here. If we have secrets locked away, if we bear regret and shame that has never been brought to God, then you're holding on to a weight that you weren't meant to carry. Your shoulders aren't broad enough for your sin. Your shoulders aren't broad enough for your sin, but his are. We come once to the cross for that great exchange that David spoke of last week. My sin for his righteousness. And now as his privileged people, we can continue with that access. We have a place to go, a person ready for us to daily, hourly come to repent and to believe again and again through our Christian life. Not that we need a right standing before God again. We've got that permanently. But we can come to him with our sin and our shortcomings, relationally, for that lustful look or this morning's impatience as I feel guilty in the car, as I think about what I said to my kids or the harsh word to my spouse. A sorry to God can warm us up for a sorry to our family, to our boss, our employees. Christians are forgiven and changed, but sin has claws in us that dig deep. And so we come to Christ continually with this battle, our greatest battle, battle, and one that God fully equips us to fight. Notice the assistant God, assistance God gives us. And this is one reason why Christians, the blessed, are, point three, deeply grateful. Look with me at verse seven. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. English football fans are known for their joyful singing and shouting, and winning teams often have a victory chant. But otherwise, you don't hear victory songs very often, unless you're a Christian. We sing songs of deliverance all the time. Kids, you are privileged to grow up with them now. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Or if you've grown up with Colin Buchanan kids, he's the death crusher, the sin smasher. Who's the mighty super saviour? Jesus, one, two, three, four. On our fridge at home, we have the memory verse I love from Psalm 118, 15. The glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. You can hear the righteous singing. Why wouldn't we want to wonder and sing of the glory of Christ and allow it to fill our hearts and fill our tents? What does that mean practically? It might mean literally singing at home or in our car, perhaps together. It might mean a Spotify playlist or two or YouTube playlist that fills our hearts By such means, verse 8, of word and spirit and song, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. 
God actively joins our side. We have the Lord in our corner. He protects us. He surrounds us with songs of deliverance, verse 7. He instructs, teaches, counsels us with his loving eye on us, verse 8. And so, verse 9, why would we want to be like the horse or the mule which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle or they won't come to you? We cease resenting God and the church for its intrusion into our life. We prefer to stop doing as we please as we start to take God's way. Because, verse 10, many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. Join the sporting fans' jubilation, their victory chant, but for better, longer, more substantial reasons. Knowing that our reasons for celebration never go away, whatever our life circumstances, and that we be people who know how good we've got it in the Lord Jesus. You know, some time ago I said to my wife out of nowhere, what was meant to be an innocent question, I wasn't thinking about tact at the time, but I said, are you your biggest problem? And I ask that because it feels for me that I'm my biggest problem. It's the same the case for you. I can be grumpy even on a nice holiday or dissatisfied while I'm living in such a great country with blessings I can't number. My discontentment comes from nothing I lack except gratitude. In that sense, we're as wealthy as we are grateful. Those who've made it are those who know they've made it. And as Christians, we have both true wealth and a God who leads us into daily appreciation for it. Spiritual realities that God invites us to daily bring into our lives with rejoicing and glad singing hearts. Well, let's pray. Our Father, we want to first and foremost thank you for offering us forgiveness that there is forgiveness available in the Lord Jesus. And Father, there may be some here today who have never confessed sin. And we pray, Lord, by your Spirit, lead us to confess. We say we're sorry. We stop fighting you and and we start submitting to you. And we want to offer your gift of forgiveness. Lord, for each of us who might be hiding sin from you or keeping things from you, forgive us for that as well and lead us instead into the joy of an open life before you. Uh, Father, fill our hearts and our tents with singing, whether we live alone or with others. Will you uh, put a song in our heart? May you be our deepest joy and our great riches, for we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.